Welcome to Educational Relevance, a platform for experienced educators to share proven successful strategies. My name is Brian Wright, I'm alongside Mark Macbeth. We have a guest in our building, Dr. Elliot Moser. Dr. Moser is an excellent administrator who's been a leader of many school districts as superintendent and principal. He has been responsible for desegregating schools in Duluth, Minnesota. He has been responsible for turning schools good to great, but he's also been responsible for programs K through 12 as far as school districts and turning those schools with struggling programs into highly successful programs. We are honored to have Dr. Moser join us today. Thanks, Brian. So I think it's a, it's a fascinating conversation about managing, facilitating, and giving direction to a school board as a superintendent when they're kind of your boss, and yet you're trying to facilitate their direction. And so I wanted to go a little bit more into that depth. I know that you talked to us before about surrounding yourself with good people, but school boards are elected. And so you just have what comes in. How do you approach that when you first come in as a new superintendent? How do you approach that school board to kind of understand who they are and what their agenda is? Well, thank you, Mark. Let me start off by identifying that school boards can come in different sizes and shapes. A superintendent has to stay out of the politics of school board elections. And I'll give you an example. In in a community where I received an appointment as superintendent, there had been a superintendent for, in this community for 20 years. He had, he was well ingrained in that community and he, he felt a little too comfortable and he became involved in endorsing and campaigning for school board members. It was a competitive school board race. School board didn't like that. And they dismissed him and hired me. And it was a lesson for me. And when I taught educational administration courses at the college level, I emphasized to my students that you can't always pick who's going to be a school board member, nor should you get involved in that election because if the candidates that he campaigned for lost, the candidates that he was opposed to won, and they assumed leadership in that school district. How do you get to know board members? Do things both informally and formally. There's an informal power structure and a formal power structure within a school district. Um, the superintendent needs to know. You need to communicate with all the board members evenly. Uh, you don't show favoritism to somebody who may think the way you do. You have to be very careful on that. And you do need to communicate with your board members. Keep them up to date. No surprises. Uh, I, I did not mind a nine-member school board because I could lose a couple board members. I could have two board members who hated me, who hated me. And I'd still have seven that were on my side. And it was okay. In a community where you have a five-member board and you lose two, 
Yeah, it's a little different. You're on the edge on that. And you need to work on developing trust and communicating with all your board members on an even basis. I always work through the school board president and develop good relationships with my school board presidents. And then I found that to be a critical. I've had school board members die uh, while they were in office. And we'd have to appoint a, a new school board member. And we've, I've gone through that. Uh, I've gone through a time where uh, a school board, where I was the interim superintendent, I had a school board member who quit and the board decided not to appoint somebody. You, you don't always have to appoint somebody when someone dies or quits as a school board member. You have to, as a superintendent, you have to remember that the school board member is elected and they're going to be there. You as superintendent are the one who can go. And that doesn't mean that you're not strong. I will argue that you're in a better position from an employment position if you're a strong superintendent than if you show weakness and are not providing leadership to that school board. Setting goals, setting a mission, trying to get everybody on board is critical. In today's marketplace with school boards, though, Mark, it's getting more difficult because people are being elected to school boards for personal reasons or political reasons more than I've seen in the past. And I'm seeing more superintendents leaving positions, if not leaving the occupation, uh, because of the political nature of education in the year 2024. Given your experience, how do you facilitate board members' conversations back to the real purpose, which is educating each kid in that school? How, how do you get them to have that dialogue when they want to have another personal agenda? And that's their number one thing. I always felt I had to get board members to respect each other that uh, other board members were not the enemy, that there weren't two sides or three sides. And sometimes the enemy is not the superintendent, it's another board member. And that's where I mentioned a retreat. I've always felt that getting board members together and talking over things, being candid, is a good practice and understanding uh, the needs of somebody else uh, on that board. You don't necessarily have to get people to give up their, their belief system, whether it's personal, religious, or uh, political. And I don't know that I ever engaged in saying to a board member, you're wrong in wanting to improve English test scores. Or most recently in my last interim superintendency, I had two school board members that were extremely, ex extremely interested in equity, diversity, equity, inclusion. And I happen to think that they were right in that school district. Three of the other board members may not have been as committed to those topics. 
And so I had to persuade people to, to collaborate. In, in, that, in that district, I spent a lot of time on this. There had been a, a harsh separation between the old superintendent and me. The old superintendent in that district was a friend of mine. And I still consider him a friend. But there had been a schism between the board and that superintendent. And there were some members of the board who wanted to take legal action against that outgoing superintendent. They wanted to take punitive action. They were angry. And I spent a great deal of time to convince that their job as a school board was to move the district forward, to help children, to, to give teachers the tools to teach. It wasn't going backwards and dealing with revenge and getting even with that outgoing superintendent. And we spent a lot of time talking about that because some of the board members were hurt. Uh, they felt that they had been made to look bad in certain circumstances and they wanted to get even. And I indicated to them that that's not why I became the interim superintendent. I lived in that community. It was a K-8 school district, a kindergarten through grade eight. And I knew the high school in that community because I'd been superintendent of that high school for 17 years. And I said, I can help move you uh, in the right direction so your kids are successful. And we got there and, and we did some good things in the period of All the time with teachers and school administrators. I mean, you were looking at assessment scores, things like that, right? to determine whether you're getting kids yes. to learn. What role did that play in school boards? Well, in some districts, it plays a bigger role than in others. In the high school where I was superintendent and principal, the school data was big time. They wanted that school to be ranked at the top in the state of Wisconsin. But more importantly, they wanted ACT scores, SAT scores, PSAT scores that would get the kids into college and into the best colleges. Mm -hmm. In another district where I was an interim for seven years, data helped me convince the school board that they had an extremely good school district and they didn't believe it and that they had great teachers. They had a community where education was important, but they had had difficulty. They had uh, four superintendents in five years, and there was a, a feeling of negativity in the school district, and the board was not feeling good about the school district. So I was able to use data to show the board that we're moving forward. Now, what I did there, to your question, Mark, was I knew I had to show the board data in that case. I hired an administrator to just deal with data and to do testing and interpret data and to teach teachers how to give tests and to teach the children how to take tests. It isn't just in gathering data. It isn't just test scores that influence how well kids do in testing and assessment. Taking tests is a skill in itself. Giving tests is a skill in itself. And 
Brian Wright knows very well the individual that I hired. He had been an administrator for me at Nicolay in my 17 years as superintendent. And I brought him out to this school district. And we ended up having the, the best test scores in the state of Wisconsin. And the environment in that school district changed overnight over the use of data, using data properly. Um, I, data can sometimes be used in the wrong way, meaning public relations in newspapers, in dismissing superintendents or principals. We use the data to strengthen our teaching and learning. And that, that those are two different things. Right now, I'm the executive director of an organization called Closing the Achievement Gap Consortium is geared towards closing the achievement gap in southeastern Wisconsin concerning students of color and white students. And data is extremely important. We've hired a company that does the data for us so we know where we're weak. We recently did a math institute and we found that fractions were the weak spot or a weak spot in southeastern Wisconsin learning. And the data is what got us there. And we didn't really know fractions were that critical of an area of learning uh, in our schools in southeastern Wisconsin. Now we know because we use data. Very good. You're talking about data and how data can be used for successes, how data can also be used for failures. How do you walk that fine line between doing what's best for students while trying to serve the egos of some of the school board members that's there? Well, you can't deny, I don't care if it's in Kansas or if it's in Colorado or Wisconsin, that assessment is, is part of the educational scene. And it's there and it's not going to be removed. It's part of the accountability movement that is happening at the school board level. And it's going to be there. The test scores, at least in Wisconsin, they're released, they're public. And I never would try to find excuses on why there were test scores at a certain level. Uh, I would always try to put things in the positive vein of how we were using the test scores to improve learning among the students. I hired our testing administrator to help teachers uh, and administrators how to use data. How can you use the test results? In the state of Wisconsin, we got into the topic of when uh, testing took place and test scores are released so that teachers can use them. It didn't do any good to get the test scores at a certain time of the year and you weren't able to use them with your teachers and the kids. Data has to be used with teachers and not just the kids. It should be part of a professional development program. At least I found that using data, uh, using assessment is part of professional development and some school board members want to be able to put it in the newspaper, their local communication, their newsletters, 
uh, on the website, the test results, you probably can't fight that. Uh, it's there because it makes it sound like you have something to hide and you need to be transparent. And when you're transparent as an administrative leader, you're taking something away from those critics who want to attack the schools, whether it's a public school or a private school, be candid, be transparent. Okay. Uh, but then, but there's that data to improve instruction. All right. Well, thank you, boss. I'm going to say this to you. Mark, I give you one last question. And uh, well, uh, we yeah. really appreciate Dr. Anthony's yeah, question. Yeah, we could have summarized some of the key points. We, we got the idea that the superintendent, you never want to get involved in the political parts of the election, the process, picking favoritisms, treat each board member individually, but as a team. The, the other side was to help board members respect each other's stuff so that they're on the same side. So even though they might come in with their own agendas and et cetera, is really to get each other to respect each other and then their roles in there and never to give up on the, the overall goal of the students and maintaining that with the, the board, that this is the objective. This is why we're here. Even if they had their own, own stuff going on, there was some acknowledgement that there's some real challenges in the school board today because of how people are coming in under a particular agenda. And that, that leads a new challenge to superintendents. And it's kind of sad to hear that some superintendents are leaving the profession because of that. We talked a lot about data, which I thought was really valuable. How to use data, not only for school boards to be able to look at their own goals and how, how they're moving forward, but to be very transparent with that, with teachers, students, parents, and the school board. And then utilize it at all those different levels to move the organization forward. And the other thing is hiring people that know data, that can support how to collect that data, when to collect that data, how to use that data, and be able to pull all that stuff together. I thought that was really good. And I think when you rely on data, as we did as principals, when we have data, we remove the perceptions, we remove our personal values and, and, and perceptions and just say the facts are. And so now what do we want to do now? Absolutely. Tremendous, tremendous points. Dr. Moser, I want to make sure you last word on what we're talking about with school boards. So we turn this back to you, sir. Well, thank you. Mark did a fantastic job of summarizing our conversation. I, my 38 years as a superintendent have given me respect for school boards. Some of my best friends have come from the ranks of school board members. I know that may sound strange, but over the years, I have become personal friends with some of the board members. A superintendent needs to have that flexibility to respect a board members and to respect the administrators and teachers who work for that superintendent. And you need to facilitate, I'll use that word again. And I think that's Mark's favorite word. I like that. Use that word a lot. You facilitate that relationship. I always felt that my staff would work that much harder for me or with me if I showed respect for my staff. And the same thing would apply for a board. You need to respect them. And they will work with you as long as you are respectful 
and show respect for their position. So thank you very much. It's, it's good talking with both of you. Thank you. Brian, thank you. I hope we can reserve the right to interview him again, because I think there's so much more there. I tell you right now, I think that yeah, we can do that again. I feel confident in that idea. Dr. Moser, thank you for everything you said today. Mark, great talking with you again. To everybody else, thank you very much for this and have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you.